Hi, I'm Chris Lodd, New South Wales Small Business Commissioner, and welcome to Talking Business. Today I'm speaking with Tim McKibbett, CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales. I want to talk to Tim about his outlook for the retail and commercial property sector, including rents and how tenants and landlords are dealing with the tough economic environment. The Commission is also conducting a formal review of the Retail Leases Act. I'd like to hear from Tim about how he believes the regulatory environment can be improved for the benefit of small business. And finally, I'd like to touch on Tim's remarkable journey from leaving school at 15 to work in the mines and then becoming the head of a major industry advocacy group. Welcome to Talking Business, Tim. Thanks, Chris. Always a pleasure to chat to you and your uh, your colleagues at, um, at the Small Business Commissioner's Office. Uh, can I just say at the front end, mate, look, I, I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of you guys. I know that you, you and your office... Um, uh, provide so much assistance, and I've regularly sent uh, people to uh, to your office for help. So, um, well done on uh, on running a great show. Oh, well, thank you, Tim. During COVID, um, organisations like yours were really instrumental in giving us feedback on what was happening on the ground, but also the getting the information back out to business. I think that was really important, and the relationship we had with you and your team mm. was really valuable during that period. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a tough time, but for um, for the likes of people that were able to stand up and and uh, and do the job as, uh, as you and your office did during that time, I think um, uh, I think it was great. Anyway, if I can say that about the COVID time. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks, Tim. Thanks for your help. Now, listen, as I said from the outset, um, uh, an interesting journey from uh, leaving school to the Real Estate Institute. Um, they're almost two decades now, and while every job has some things that we like and perhaps don't like as much, to do something for almost 20 years, there must be a few things that you really like in your current role. Yeah, there is. Um, I I love the industry, I have to say. Um, and, and my wife's a commercial property lawyer, and I, I, I was in property law um, and sort of in commercial and tax prior to starting with the... Um, uh, with the REI, um, I guess Chris. Look, as as I get older, um, I, I I actually like helping people. I know that sounds uh, a little bit corny, or as the case may be, but I I really um I really like helping people. I get a great kick out of that. I guess I guess at my age now, I'm I'm somewhat settled. I'm in the fortunate position of uh, of owning my own home and. Uh, where a lot of people in Sydney, I think, are fighting to do that, and I think about my kids. But I, I, um, I get a great kick out of um, out of helping helping people and on their careers. Um, and one of the things that I, I really, really want to achieve in in uh, this job is to improve the reputation of the industry. It's uh, uh, it's no secret that it doesn't have a great reputation. Uh, but that is that is really unjustified. Um, I know these people work dreadfully hard, um, and I, I know during COVID, um, again, we're harping back to that. But the the work that property managers did during that, uh, you know, it was it was phenomenal. They were they were twenty four seven. In fact, in fact, I, uh, I I got so concerned about the mental health of property managers at that time that uh, I declared a, uh, a property manager's day to celebrate property managers. And I chose the 24th of July, uh, signifying 24-7. And um, 
you know, if we, we just had to try and say to these people what a fantastic job they were doing. I want to um, I, I want to help uh, the industry reputation and um, um, you know and and just just assist people in um, in the industry and and more broadly. And many of your members, or say much of the industry, majority of the industry, understand are actually small businesses. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The overwhelming majority of uh, of agents would be small businesses with all of the challenges that come with small business um and again you know i i um i think small business is uh is the engine room of the economy absolutely um there's these people again you know they take on take on the great challenge of running a business and providing employment and uh, if we look at the the amount of employment that small business provides um, yeah, again, you know, we, we just can't dedicate enough resources and energy to, uh, to these folks. They, they um, work all day in their business, delivering their services, and they come home at night time and have to be the bookkeeper, the HR department, um, the compliance officer, and the list goes on. So uh, I think hats off to small business. Uh, no, very common, common story in here, here to that. Many, many of us have watched the, with some interest, market movements in, in residential property. But what are you seeing the trends in retail and commercial leasing? And are there sort of any standout issues for your members in this space? Yeah, there, there are. Although I have to say that I'm still probably uh, taking dictation rather than involved in predictions at, at this stage. I keep harping back to COVID and I, and I apologise for that, but I think I think we are still somewhat in the uh, in the clutches of of COVID as as far as an influencer is concerned. Uh, as you know, that we've started working from home a lot more than um, than we did previously. Um, we discovered that we can do it. We can do it effectively. So people are talking about coming to the office, you know, one day a week or or you know five days a week in some cases, but. But certainly the, the trend is for people not to be in the office as much as they were. Now, that has a flow-on effect into the, into the coffee shops, if I can pick on them, uh, coffee shops and other, other retail shops, food, um, I suppose, clothing, and, and, and again, the list goes on. That's having a, an impact because people aren't, um, they, they, just, they aren't in the city, so they haven't got the, the walk past traffic but that's having an upside for for some of the um, regional areas I think and also some of the suburbs where people are, are now are going up for their coffee in the morning to the to their local coffee shop in their uh, in the high street of their suburb and not in the city so that's that's coming off one end and, and being directed to another so uh, so that's you know that's been interesting to watch. I think the other thing that COVID uh, did, as far as our buying power, and and this flows into uh, the the uh, impact it's had on the, some of the logistics sites. So, so people started buying online. So Amazon and uh, and also Australia Post uh, were were starting to deliver packages to people rather than people going uh, into the traditional uh, buying way of uh, of walking around the. A retail shop. They started to buy online, 
and for that for that reason, that area of of the commercial market, the logistics buildings have come under a lot of pressure. Um, but then at the other end of the scale, we're looking at um, at office space, a commercial office space, and because of what we said a second ago, people just don't have the need for that as much as they did previously. But before we start uh, slashing our wrists, Chris, in relation to uh, to the commercial office space, um, I was fortunate enough to be with uh, with Bernard Salt in a uh, in a presentation he gave. So I'm able to quote him, and he was saying that the city is growing commercially is growing by about four percent a year, and as a consequence of that, uh, it will ultimately soak up the uh, the oversupply that we have uh, at this stage. So. As we go forward, um, I think that, like Bernard was saying, and I think he's right. You know, we are we are getting bigger. We do every year, so I think that long term we're going to go back largely to where we came where, where we came from. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right about that. It'll it'll wash through in the end. Although I do think there's been a bit of a catalyst, as you say, with retail, with you know even us luddites sort of buying more online and changing perhaps retail for many decades to come, perhaps. Uh, I, want to, I want to stay on, on retail leases in particular uh, because the Commission, we're still seeing an elevated number of disputes in retail leases. Um, what do you think is is driving that and, and what might be some of the solutions to minimising them? Like I, I guess it is, a, it is a function of the economy uh, where retail tenants being in a bit of a bind, but are there other things that you think we could do um, to perhaps reduce the number of disputes or improve the understanding of of landlords and and retail tenants. Yeah, um, I noticed in the uh, in the Fin review today that there was a discussion about um, uh, about retail leasing in the high end market, um, where I know you shop, uh, Chris, at the <laughs> down at the uh, the Gucci shop and the like. Um, um, but that they seem to be doing it quite well. There, um, there doesn't seem to be any problems there. Uh, but when you get down into some of the uh, more affordable areas, I, I do know that they, that there is problems in that space. As for, as for a solution, I think we have to, again, probably segment the market as much as possible uh, to, to properly understand. What each area of the market is um, is suffering, and where and where there is opportunities to to provide assistance, and clearly um, being able to look at the costs of business, so that we can. Um, and I know we're going to get onto that in a minute, and I'll get onto my hobby horse that I've been driving you crazy about. But um, we need we need to properly segment the business, and I think there's so much we don't know. Uh, about small business at this stage, and, and again the the COVID impact. Um, but the better the better we segment the businesses, uh, the the particular retail shops, the the better we can assist. Now I don't think there's a single silver bullet, as the expression goes. I think it, I think it will come from a uh, an understanding uh, and assistance from you know probably all levels of government, particularly local government and um, uh, and the and the state government um, to uh, to provide the a genuine assistance. And when I say genuine, it's looking at their costs and and what we can do to support them. 
I think, and again, you know, I I think there are still people coming out of the COVID effect. You know, yeah, no, uh, that exactly was, right. That man. was hard, but look, um, I I I would rather see uh, assistance in that area. I know landlords uh, would rather do that as well. There seems to be this perception that landlords just love tossing tenants out on the street. Well, that's that's just that's just crazy. You you buy a a, an investment property for somebody to pay the rent. You know, you don't you don't get a, a great feeling out of um, not having a tenant in your property. Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. Residential, I can't I can't ignore residential because almost every weekend, actually every weekend, I get an email from you talking about clearance rates and sales rates. Is it genuinely just a, a chronic undersupply that we're dealing with? Well, not just in Sydney, but across New South Wales, or, or are there other factors that you think are, are impacting some of the headlines and, and certainly some of the, the shortages that we're seeing, particularly in the private rental space? Um, the short answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is supply. That's what, exactly what it is. Um, uh, where, when you're talking about housing, it's, it's shelter. So there are three things that uh, we all share, whether 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 the richest or the poorest person um, in uh, in the city here, and for that matter, right across Australia, we we need three things: we need food, we need water, and we need shelter. So we're in a uh, world where we we uh, have an undersupply. So the supply and demand uh, one hundred and one economics is in play, uh, and then if we uh, overlay that with a um with the issue that we must buy people must buy the property so there is this huge competition um it's a bit like saying you know we have to fight for for water or food um we we have to fight for our property and um that's the reason that the prices are going up um i'll tell you something something i think people don't recognize is the impact that uh, residential accommodation has on the the economy, particularly local economies, and it it impacts um it impacts right across the economy. But in some in some cases, you can actually see it in play because it is um, it is more evident now in some of the seaside um, popular areas where again you know people have decided they can go and live there and and work there. Um, Effectively, because of uh, we've discovered this work from home, and the, they've driven the price of property up in that area, um, and also uh, done the same thing with uh, with rental property. Now, thinking a place like Byron Bay is a good example. It's very much on show that the um, the, the the people with the money have moved in, and they said this is great, and then they go down to the restaurant or to the hotel. Um, Etc. The retail places, and there's nobody in the in those shops. There's nobody. Uh, there's nobody in the coffee shop to serve them coffee, because the people who had traditionally done that job can't afford to live there, and they've been squeezed out of town. Mm. Yeah, so now, crowded out, crowded out of the market. Well, that's right. Uh, so the the money's pushed them out of town. So yes, uh, if you if you have sufficient resources that you're able to go and buy a property in that area, that's great. But then you go down to the street and there's nobody to serve you. Um, so you can see it very, very evidently in places like that. Um, sometimes in in city areas, it's uh, it's less less obvious. 
but it's still in play. You know, people need somewhere to live. And, uh, and I'm thinking like in some of the more affluent suburbs where, where you have people living in a home uh, that need home services and these sorts of things. Uh, and uh, those people that provide that um, can't afford to live in that suburb. So that's another issue. Police, uh, school teachers, um, fireys, um, paramedics, all of these folks uh, that the that the that the not only the economy but socially we depend yeah. on, they're getting pushed out and further away from um, from areas which um you know in the, some of the more affluent some of the, some of those places and that makes it that makes it difficult. Yeah, uh, had the handbrake on the local economy as well as the national one, perhaps from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned from the outset that the commission is conducting a review of retail leases and the Retail Leases Act. Um, now, this is an area that can get a little bit technical, but just quickly, what do you think works currently and what do you think we might improve? Um, now, no promises here that you're going to get your own <laughs> way on this, Tim, but, but uh, you've observed this space for, for a long time now, um, so we, we need to listen to all players, but um, some of your observations, I think, uh, will be very telling. Yeah, um, I think that the Act uh, works quite well. Uh, I think it does. Um, and, you know, it has evolved over the years since 1994. Uh, the history of the Act I, I, I find intriguing because there was a, as you know, there was identified uh, at the time uh, an inequity between the the bargaining power of landlords and tenants, particularly in uh, in shopping centres, that um, so so there was an attempt by by um, um, the landlords association, landlords area, shopping centres to have a code of conduct, and and that evolved and ultimately ended up with the uh, Retail Leases Act, and I think that has evolved. And I think it always will have to evolve to. To recognise changes in in uh, buying uh, consumers, uh, the, the consumer voice, and the way they go about doing uh, doing their acquisitions, making their acquisitions of property. Um, so, and technology too, I suppose it's going to have to it's going to have to recognise technology. But I think the evolution of the act is is in a place now where where we could better bring to life the parliamentary intent by having a prescribed retail lease and the and I, I model I model this on the residential rental lease that we have residential rental agreement it's known as but it's a lease um, and and it has enormous um, cost savings for everybody um, and so, so I think I think that it would be of value to to go down that path where we could have a single lease, uh, sorry, a, a common lease. Now, if we look at what happens in in a dispute, by way of example only, if we have a look at what's in uh, have a dispute in relation to a residential property, you go down to NCAT, um, and NCAT doesn't need to look at the uh, at the lease because it's the same one. And people might come along with a, a great argument about an interpretation of a particular clause. Well, NCAT's heard every possible 
um, angle that you can put to a uh, that clause previously. So it's able to give a high quality and very efficient um, result for for the dispute. Now I think the same thing can happen in in the retail space. The act the act is uh, becoming more and more prescriptive, and uh, and as a consequence of that, I think that we can lift a um, a lease out of the out of the act, and and I think that has got to be the next evolution uh, of the uh, of the act. That's that's my view. Um, we we can we are able then if we do that that somebody wants to be in a in the premises then you take the standard the standard uh, lease and you and the landlord and the and the tenant are able to complete that that lease and um, and then be in the premises very quickly and that that means that the landlord's getting their rent the tenant's doing uh, uh, is in business which is what the both of them want to do. The other thing too I see as an advantage in there um, is is people who uh, don't have English as their first language, and uh, and what happens now is somebody points at the at the bit where they sign and they sign and and good that's what they have to do to end in the lease, but they don't they don't understand their their obligations and rights under the under a lease, uh, and if we have a if we have a document. That is standard prescribed. Then we can produce uh, multiple uh, information sheets in multiple languages, so that people can understand it. Um, and I, I, I've given you an example. I can't rattle them off now, but there. But I, um, I gave you an example once of uh, of ten industry terms for rent. Ten, ten industry terms. So. What what solicitors do, and I'm uh, I, I am one, so I'm not going to throw too much mud here. But a um, solicitors look at the retail lease, and they're acting for for a, a landlord, for example, and they are required when they're looking to put the landlord in in the absolute best position legally, uh, and for that, and then flowing from that commercially, I suppose, risks uh, as they can, which means. Which means they will take a um, uh, a position on the on the act to uh, to do that, um, and and consequently, I've seen I've seen leases that you know so you measure in kilos and uh, and centimeters, <laughs> you know, um, and and also things like uh, the uh, disclosure statements. Now, I think the disclosure statements have come out. Uh, you know, again, it's part of the evolution that the disclosure statement came out uh, to try and give a summary of what was in the in the lease. In other words, this is the this is the options, this is the rent, this is the term, these sorts of things. That was, I think, I think Parliament had a an intent that that would be uh, a single page. And you know, I've seen I've seen disclosure documents. 30, 30 pages long. And, uh, so, um, you know, people just can't understand them. Well, we're chewing through a lot of different suggestions from, well, all sides really, and it's not just tenants and landlords, but uh, investors as well have uh, obviously a stake uh, in the in the act and the operation of the act. So uh, I look forward to 
to wrapping uh, the review up. But uh, thank you again for your contributions on this one. It's been, uh, they have been significant. Um, finally, Tim, we started off about your career, and it's an interesting one. Um, I guess I'm pretty interested as how does an accountant become lawyer, then advance through his career and, and become the, the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New South Wales? Um, well, my kids give me a bit of grief over my career. They, they say, what are you going to do when you grow up? Um, so, and I think uh, in all the circumstances, it's probably... You're disinherited them, have you? Now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But um, um, they, uh, I, think, I think I've just, to some extent, stumbled into things. Um, and yeah, things were just presented to me in life. Um, and I think, I think people during, during the course of their life have things that come their way. Some things you, uh, you elect to take advantage of, uh, other things you, you decide that it's, even though there's an opportunity to go in that direction, you're going to go in a different direction. And I think that's probably what's happened to me. Uh, there's been, there's been some things that, uh, have come my way, which I've decided to to put the energy into and go in that direction. And there's other things that have just fallen in my lap. Um, and the the role as CEO uh, of the uh, of the REI was uh, was something that just fell into my lap. To be perfectly frank with you, um, they uh, I happened to be sitting in a particular spot, which was uh, the legal counsel, and um, and the REI needed a a CEO, um, and they, they asked if I would take the role on uh, in an acting uh, position for, for a while so they could find another CEO. And um, ultimately, I, I stayed on, and, uh, and I'm still doing the job, and I'm, uh, I, I have to say I'm loving it. My passion, my passion for the job uh, and for the industry has not changed other than probably got stronger over the years. Well, I was going to say, you're a, you're a passionate and tireless advocate for the industry. Uh, and I want to thank you again for all of your help and assistance and advice and support and getting the information out there to business. It has been really tremendous in the partnership with many industry groups, but also um, uh, the importance of those partnerships during COVID, I don't think we can understate. Tim, look, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, and I hope to keep talking to you around advances and changes in this space, this important space of, of tenant retail leasing, uh, uh, landlord retail tenant leasing. Um, thank you for your time today. Pleasure, Chris. Always enjoy talking to you. I'm Chris Lamont. Thanks for listening. We'll return soon with another episode of Talking Business.